This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Hello, this is Sean. Hey, Sean, it's Jonathan Master calling. Hey, man, how you doing? I'm doing well. Make sure to keep listening after the program to find out how to receive a free MP3 download from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Our guest today is both Associate Professor of Church History at RTS Jackson and Senior Minister of First Presbyterian Church of Hattiesburg, Mississippi. He's authored a number of books, including a little booklet from PNR entitled, What is Grace? And it is on that subject, the subject of grace, that we've invited him to speak with us today. So, Sean Lucas, thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I want to begin with a quote from J. Gresham Machen, and he puts it this way, The very center and core of the whole Bible is the doctrine of the grace of God. This this almost sounds like an exaggeration. Is it? Do you think that's true? Uh, I don't think it's an exaggeration. I do think it's true, and, and that's because this, this theme of God's grace shown to us uh, in Jesus is, is really the center of the Bible. I mean, Jesus said in Luke 24 that, um, that as he was walking with the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, uh, he showed how Moses and the prophets spoke of him. Uh, and so if, if Jesus is at the center of the Bible, then, then the grace of God displayed to us in Jesus is at the center of the Bible. And so, yeah, there, I think there is a, a golden thread of grace or a, a golden thread of God's undeserved favor towards human beings that's all the way through uh, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So then, what is grace? How, how would you how would you define it? Uh, well, you know, Sinclair Ferguson, I think, wisely reminded us that um, grace isn't a thing or a substance. Grace is always connected with a, a person. So that's why what I just said makes sense that that grace has to do with Jesus. But but at the end of the day, it's the the word itself means favor, and particularly. God's undeserved favor uh, that's displayed to us in connection to this person, Jesus Christ, uh, the God become man who dwelt among us, the one who is full of grace and truth. And so, so grace is favor, but it's always favor that comes to us in and through Jesus as Lord and Savior. This might be more of an opinion question than anything else, but why is why is this teaching of of God being a God of grace and shown particularly in and through Jesus Christ so so hard for us to to accept e- even as even as Christians? Why is it hard to for us to envision God as a God of grace? Well, I, I think part of that is uh, the default religion of our hearts is is what I call uh, experiential moralism that we. We long for inspirational experiences that will help us fly right and do better. And the reason why we, we long for those things is because we really think that there are things that we can do in order to gain God's favor, uh, that God's favor at the end of the day must be deserved in some way. And the great example of that uh, is, is Luke chapter 18. We're, we really are like the Pharisee. Uh, in that story, uh, you know, as he's praying in the temple and he, he says, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men. You know, I, I perform religious duties. I'm, I'm not a notorious sinner, and I'm certainly not like that publican over there. Um, and at, at the end of the day, the Pharisee really is a, 
a, a kind of moralist. He really believes that he has some claim upon upon the grace of God. But but really, as Jesus tells us in that in that story, it's it's the publican, the tax collector, who goes down to his house justified before God, declared right or in the right with God because because he knows the truth about God and he knows the truth about himself and he, he knows what he desperately needs. He knows that God's a judge, that he's a sinner, and he needs mercy or grace. And so um, the grace of God in Jesus Christ, it, it turns over the religion of our hearts. We have to forsake this idea that somehow we can gain favor or we can ascend to God in order to, to use him for our purposes. Actually, uh, grace comes to us and says, "No, actually, you're 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 desperate, <laughs> and and unless God shows you favor in Jesus Christ, you're you're without hope and lost in this world." It really undercuts any self righteousness or pride that we we naturally have. Yeah, it really does. Very much so. So then, how does an appreciation of God's grace in Christ um, not lead to some kind of license? Uh, Paul talks about. Uh, the grace of God teaching us to say no to ungodliness. But but I think many people perceive an emphasis on God's grace as something that will le- then lead people um, uh, away from following his commands. Yeah, well, one of the things we talk a lot about here at First Presbyterian Church, our, our tagline is that grace transforms. Uh, and, and it transforms everything about us. So that one of the things I'll, I'll frequently say is that is that God's favor, God's grace, not only leads to forgiveness, grace not only forgives, it, it actually transforms us. God's favor changes us. Uh, and, and the big reason that's the case is that the, that's at the center of God's favor to us in Jesus is, is our union with Christ. And so um, as the Holy Spirit effectually calls us and draws us to the Savior, he, he unites us to Christ. And then a, uh, what Calvin calls a double grace, is ours. Both justification and sanctification come to us and flow to us from our union with Christ. And so um, those, those benefits are distinguishable, uh, but they're not, they're not separated. It's not possible to be justified and declared right with God without taking on newness of life, which is also a benefit that comes to us by, through Christ. And so uh, because of that, uh, this, this grace, this favor that comes to us in Christ as the Spirit unites us to him, inevitably leads to sanctification and and that means then that every aspect of our lives is is transformed it's it's changed so it uh, the way we um, deal with uh, our spouses and our marriages the way we parent our children the way we engage outsiders in the community the way we go about our work these categories that Paul talks about in Ephesians 5 and 6 uh, they're all transformed they're changed because we've been made alive and raised with Christ and seated in the heavenly places, these benefits have come to us by virtue of our union with Christ, and so everything changes as a result. Now, what, what about the relationship between law and grace? How would you, how would you describe that? Yeah, so in, a, in Exodus chapter 20, it's striking. Uh, when you look at the Ten Commandments, the movement is actually from grace to law. Um, so the the prologue to the Ten Commandments, God says, you know, that uh, as kind of the, as the suzerain Lord, he's, he's redeemed his people out of the house of slavery, out of the land of Egypt. Um, because he's, he's done that, um, he now is giving them his, his law uh, as a, a guide for their lives. Since he's purchased them, he's, he's chosen them, redeemed them, uh, he's 
brought them uh, to a place where they are his, his peculiar possession, his, his special treasure. Now, here's the way to walk. Here's the way to live. Uh, what we find, though, is we live according to God's word and his law is that we can't. Um, we falter and fail. We have this, this remaining sin, what, what, what John Calvin calls the cinder that remains within us. And so uh, we, we fail to keep the law at all these different points. And so the law actually drives us back uh, to, to God's grace shown to us in Jesus Christ and who we really are in him and the fact that our sins are forgiven and that there's mercy in Christ and he's, he's a glorious and great Savior. And so we are brought back to grace and then grace sets us back in the way of the law. And so there's this, there's this dynamic, this movement between grace and law for the Christian uh, that continues until uh, until we die and and uh, and remaining sin is done and we're we're glorified finally and fully and and then it's all grace <laughs> from beginning to end. Yeah, that's it's it's a great it's a great hope and and as you say it is it's all by grace. I, I I'm wondering just last question here. Can do you have any um, recommended uh, resources on this topic? Any any really especially helpful books uh, on the topic of grace for someone who wants to even dive more deeply into this? Yeah, the the go-to book that I've recommended and given away and our staff has read is Brian Chappell's Holiness by Grace, which uh, does a wonderful job of showing us how God's favor in Jesus Christ comes to us in our union with Christ and then how that serves as our motivation uh, for holiness. So, so it's always the movements from the indicative, what's true about us in Jesus Christ, to then what we are to do, the imperative. And, and so Brian's book is, is a wonderful introduction to how grace affects us in the Christian life. That book's based on uh, earlier work done by uh, an older writer, Walter Marshall, in the Gospel Mystery of Sanctification, uh, which is another wonderful book. It's, it's out of print. There's some modernized versions out there. Uh, but both of those books really are, are wonderful kind of entry points in how grace actually matters for the Christian life. Yeah, those are great recommendations. So, Sean Lucas, thank you very much for joining us. I really appreciate your time. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a podcast of placefortruth.org. Placefortruth.org is a website of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals proclaiming biblical doctrine in today's church. Just for listening, we'd like to equip you with a free MP3 message. Visit placefortruth.org to download Irresistible Grace by Robert Godfrey. Listen next time to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.